Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9, 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. How many came ready to dig into the Word of God today? We're, we're going to do some digging. We're going to grow together. Uh, this is one of those messages that is very, very hard to live out. It's going to be a challenge. It challenged my heart as I studied and got ready for this sermon today, and I trust it will do the same for you. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. Uh, this morning I'm reading out of the New International Version, and your notes are in the back, your outlines are in the back. If you're watching by television or one of our other campuses, we welcome you as well, and uh, trust this Word of God will be a blessing to your hearts today. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your enemies and hate, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. Father, help us this morning. We need you, God, as we uh, unravel the great truths of this passage of Scripture. And I pray you will just make it find fertile ground in our hearts and lives, that that word of God will become engrafted into our spirits, that it will take fruit and grow. And, Lord, you will teach us how to move into a plane and a level of a higher love that you've called us to. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Look at verse 47 again. He, he asks a question. He says, what are you doing more than others? I want to ask you guys here today, everyone here today, we're going to answer that question. What are you doing more than others? What sets us apart? What makes our love different than anyone else's? What are you doing more than others? You see, the Bible says in the passage I just read to you, sinners love those who love them. Anybody can do that. If someone's loving you, it's natural to love them in return. That's, a, that's just who we are. We, we love them back. We return love for love. If you're parents, you know what it's like to love your children care about your kids, to raise them in the way they should go. In fact, the word of God says, even earthly fathers being evil, if they know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so, so the bottom line is there's a natural love that I think we have for our own children, for our own family. If you're married, there's a marital love that God has placed in your heart that, that's there for your wife, your spouse, your husband, because they're your best friends in life. And you, you get close to them and you love them and with intimacy that, that's unlike any other in the world today. There's a love of friends. 
You love your friends. You got friends that you care about deeply and you love and you hang out with and do things together with. And, and, and yet the Bible says don't even sinners do that. You don't have to be saved to love your kids. You don't have to be saved to love your husband or wife. Even sinners do that. They're all regular experiences for every single person, whether you're in Christ or out of Christ. He goes on so far as to say even tax collectors do that. Who are the tax collectors? Well, they were the thieves that sat on the corner and ripped off people going by. And they were greedy and they uh, committed extortion and they got all the money they could get and they ripped people off. He says even tax collectors, swindlers, cheaters love those who love them. That's no big deal. Uh, All human love is contaminated by some degree of self-interest. All human love is contaminated by some degree of self-interest. The problem that we got to deal with is, as Christians, as believers, as Christ followers, is we're called to love our enemies. Now, when you, when you talk about your enemies, there can be no self-interest there because your enemies are out to get you. There's no measure of return. There's no, there's no perks out of this thing. They're out to get you. There's no self-interest. And so he says, if we only love those who love us, we're no better than swindlers. We're no better than tax collectors. If we greet only our brothers and sisters who come by and we smile and we shake their hand. We're no better than the pagans, the word of God says, who greet one another. And so the whole point is this. He starts out, what are you doing more than others? Let me put it simply to you. God is calling us to a higher love. There is a higher standard. There is a higher level of love for the child of God. It is a love that surpasses any other kind of love. Uh, The hallmark of Christians uh, is that they have an extraordinary love. Higher love. Now, how is Christian love higher? I want to give you three things. Jot these down. And they're all taken right here from this text this morning. How is Christian love a higher love? Number one, it elevates others above ourselves. It elevates others above ourselves. Look at verses 38 and 39 again, if you would. You've heard it was said that eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, now that's a very interesting phrase. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the law of Moses. Moses wrote it down in his law, and he says, if someone hits you on the right cheek, turn the other. Or excuse me, he said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was the law of Moses. That was what was required. And so what's this mean, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Sounds like I could get revenge. Moses wrote this down and someone takes my out, eye out, I can take their eye out. The law of Moses not only covered the moral code, but it also covered the civil code for the nation of Israel. He is setting up the, the, uh, the thing that there should be exact justice performed in a society to protect a society. And the idea was he is literally protecting Israel. When Moses wrote down an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, he is limiting compensation to exact justice and no more. Now, that was really to protect the nation of Israel. 
Let me give you a, a, a case in point. Early on in Israel's history or the tribal history, uh, vengeance was the law of the tribe. And so if you hurt me, I came back and hurt you. The only trouble is if you hurt me, I came back and hurt you more. I got even more. Uh, and so Moses writes an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says, you can exact no more justice than is required according to the law. And what would happen is if you killed somebody in one tribe, the whole tribe would come and declare war on that tribe uh, and it would break out and thousands would lose their lives. There's a sordid story in the book of Judges chapter 19 about a Levite who was taking his concubine on a little trip. And they stopped, the Bible says, in the city of Gebeah in Benjamin. And they're in that city, and they're spending the night, and some lewd men come, and they say, come on out, man, we want to rape you and kill you and pillage you and all that. And he says, no, I'm not coming out. Here, take my concubine. And they took the concubine, and it's a very sordid story, and the word of God says they raped her and abused her all night long. And the next morning, the guy comes out, the Levite finds her on the doorstep dead. And he does something very cruel. He, she's already dead, but he cuts her body into 12 pieces. And he sends it throughout the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, look what they have done to my concubine. Uh, and a long story short, all the tribes of Israel gather together and they attack the tribe of Benjamin. And there are literally thousands of people killed of the Benjamites. In fact, the word of God says they practically wiped out one entire tribe of the nation of Israel. There were only 400 Benjamite men left. And so he says, this civil law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the way our courts operate. It's the way our justice operate. It's the way we keep peace in the land. But he says, there is no room in the child of God for personal retaliation. He says, on our part, for a Christian, if they strike you on the right cheek, give them the other cheek also. Our personal responsibility is based on the law of love, not justice. We're not to retaliate. Now, I need a volunteer here this morning to help me out. So, uh, Pastor Craig, come on up. I see that hand over there. What does that mean to strike you on the right cheek? We're going to demonstrate today. Now, if, if, if you can't retaliate, I just preached that. Uh, if if uh, Craig's right cheek is right there, just testing you to see if you knew where it was. His right cheek is right there. Now, most people are right-handed. So if I struck him on the right cheek, how can I do that with the blow this way? More than likely, he's referring to an Eastern custom where you take the backside of your hand and you went across his face this way. Okay, now we're going to act it out in fast motion. (laughs) So to to strike somebody on the right cheek, I would have to use my right hand. I would come across his face like this. And to strike somebody on the right cheek with the backhand was an insult. It was to put somebody down. It was uh, to, uh, so anyway, good job. Give Craig a hand. Didn't he do a great job today? Uh, So every time that they accuse Jesus Christ of being a, uh, doing miracles by demons 
or being a blasphemer. What they were doing is even though they weren't necessarily hitting him, it was that same striking him on the right cheek. It was an insult. It was injurious to who he was. And so when he was called a heretic or a blasphemer, it's a blow to the right cheek. I guess what I'm saying is this is not so much about somebody hitting you. You guys think, hey, I'm all right. No one's hit me in a long time and it's since I was in elementary school, and so this really doesn't apply to me. It's when somebody insults you, talks about you, calls your name, gossips about you, says things behind your back, puts you down. That's the blow to the right cheek. Listen to Isaiah 50 and verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. The Jewish police, when they took Jesus Christ to trial, they blindfolded him. They struck him on the face. The Roman soldiers followed that up by placing a crown of thorns upon his brow. They clothed him with imperial purple. And they said, Hail to the king of the Jews. And then they went on to spit on his face. And they struck him with their hands. Now, Jesus Christ went all of that for us. Now, when he's going through all that, you see a a person there who has infinite self-control. He doesn't strike back. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. uh, But in perfect love and self-control, he holds his peace. Now, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm telling you, this is hard stuff. But it's it's the law of higher love. 1 Peter 2 and 21. To this you recall because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. In other words, when Christ stood trial and they plucked his beard and they sped on him and they hit him, he said, this is our example to follow. That you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Now the Bible says that is higher love. And that's what God has called us to do in Matthew chapter 5. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, God will take care of me. God will protect me. God will take care of them. Therefore, that frees me up from the need to retaliate and get vengeance or or to talk back or insult back or criticize back. Charles Spurgeon makes this statement. We are to be the anvil when bad men are the hammers. Wow. We're to be the anvil when bad men are the hammers. Now, now let me clear something up right now for you because all these, you're, you're processing this right now. An anvil is something that is very strong, solid. It's not, it didn't say we're to be the doormat. That's another thing altogether. Jesus Christ, when he was being spat on and when he was being hit and when he was being beaten and he opened up his mouth and said not a word, he was not a weakling who offers no resistance. He was not a weak man on that occasion because a few days later, the same man took a whip and fashioned it and made it out of cords and drove the money changers out of the temple. But rather, Jesus was a strong man who was in control of himself. 
Weak men retaliate. Weak men, weak men got to get even. Uh, weak men got to get revenge. Uh, a strong man can take it and leave it in the hands of God. Now, these examples, there's four examples he gives in the text. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give to him who asks, and uh, give your coat also. Uh, Jesus is just giving snapshots of how our love and what it looks like and how is it carried out. It's not meant to be an exhaustive discussion for every case. For example, listen to me. It doesn't imply, ladies, you're to remain at home to be a punching bag for your husband. If your husband abuses you and beats you and hits you, you have every right to get out of that house. If, you're, if he abuses your children, by all means, you need to protect them and get them out of there. But what it does mean is you cannot hate that man. You get away. You get out of the situation. You don't just stand and, and put yourself up to that to take that kind of abuse and heap that upon yourself. The principle is illustrating love. Love for the injured person does not take revenge. He won't hit back. He won't return evil for evil, but he always seeks the highest welfare of the other person. It frees us from personal animosity. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Paul writes the Roman church, very strong words along the same line. Verse number 17, do not repay anyone, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, he's saying retribution is not for us, but retribution is the prerogative of God. God will take care of it. The word says, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. In other words, he keeps the books. And because he keeps the books, I don't have to. I don't have to keep score. I don't have to keep the books. I don't have to get even. I don't have to have my way. I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to do any of those things because God's keeping track of all that stuff. And so there's freedom in that. And because I know God is taking care of it, it frees me to love that person and forgive that person and do good for that person. Not only in my words and my actions, but in my heart as well. And so I release it. I let it go. I commit my cause to a good and righteous judge. And then I proceed to overcome all of that evil by being good. We overcome with patient forgiveness. Now, I want to bring Craig back up here again. That, that vision is firmly planted in your brain. But, but for, for you to turn the other cheek, it also implies that you have to get close enough to make yourself vulnerable. Obviously, Craig's under no threat now. I'm up here. He's down there. I can't reach him. Right? And so when the Bible says, if someone hits you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek, we must be close to that person. That requires two things. 
faith and love. It requires faith in God to protect you and take care of you. It's the missionary who goes into a country to take the gospel of Christ where missionaries are not welcome, where they may lose their life, where they may be killed. But because they love so much, they go into those dangerous areas to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that wife who may stay in a loveless marriage because she can love that husband and share the good news with him uh, and just show grace to him over and over again and eventually overcome evil with good. It takes faith to say, you know what? I'm going to submit to my husband. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in this relationship because God's going to take care of me. God's going to protect me. Uh, God's going to be my source. Uh, it also requires love for that other person, love to endure their pain, uh, because hurting people hurt other people. And so you love them. Love, by its very nature, is vulnerable. See, a lot of us have shut ourselves off. You say, I can't love anymore. I don't want to get close again. I don't ever want to go down that road again because I've been hurt. And if I love them, I'll be hurt again. I can say, yes, you might be hurt again. But how can we ever change our world if we don't care enough to get close? If I shut down and put up my walls and so love by its very nature is making yourself vulnerable, possibly to get hit on the right cheek again. But in the end, we're also victorious because the Lord is our protector. The Lord will help me. And in doing that whole process, he will build up character. Dr. Benjamin May was at the funeral of Dr. Martin Luther King. And he made this statement about Dr. King. He says, if any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. His house was bombed, living day after day for 13 years under the constant threat of death. Maliciously accused of being a communist. Falsely accused of being insincere. Stabbed by a member of his own race. Slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him. And yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind. And he went up and down the length and the breadth of this world preaching nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. On one occasion, Dr. King was locked up in a Georgia jail. And he was studying in his Bible, he was studying Matthew chapter 5, the passage that I share with you as our text. And he wrote a sermon entitled, Loving Your Enemies. And these are some of the statements he made. Hate multiplies hate as a descending spiral of violence. He says, hate is just as injurious to the person who hates as to its victim. And then he makes this powerful statement. I think it's in your outline. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. For it has creative and redemptive power. Isn't that powerful? Let me, let me say it one more time. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. For it has creative and redemptive power. And for over three centuries, the American black man suffered oppression, frustration, and discrimination. But because of Martin Luther King and his friends uh, who determined to meet hate with love, uh, eventually they won their freedom. That's powerful. Nonviolence. Nonviolence. Love and respond to hate. 
So love, higher love, elevates others over ourselves. Number two, higher love elevates people over possessions. Elevates people over possessions. Look at verse 40 again, if you would. And if someone wants to sue you and take you to uh, and take sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And give to one who asks you, and do not turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. Now, three things are very quickly brought out. Number one, it's better to lose a suit of clothes than to lose a suit of law. In other words, take care of that thing very quickly and give it away and don't fight and don't resist. Don't resort to the law for every personal wrong. We are in a Sue crazy society today. And if you do something at all or say something about me, I'll sue you for slander. Buddy, let it go. It's not a big deal. Number two, if he compels you to go one mile, go an extra mile. Now, this is something that's kind of, the phrase, go the extra mile, is very common in our vernacular. It's actually right here from Matthew chapter 5, and yet it's uncommon to our culture. Let me tell you what the surroundings were. Israel is under the bondage of the Roman Empire. And Roman soldiers are all around. They're in the streets of Jerusalem. They're, in the, they're all throughout Israel. If they're an occupied nation and the armies are right there. And, it, and you can imagine if you're an Israelite and you see those Roman soldiers, every time you see them, it's a reminder that you're under their thumb. You're being oppressed by an alien nation. Well, there was another law that made matters worse. If I, as a Roman soldier, came up to a, a Jewish civilian and said, here, carry my backpack... You had to carry it. You had no choice. You had to carry their shield, their sword, whatever you wanted to, they wanted you to carry, their, their, their overnight backpack, whatever it was. They could conscript you to carry their burden, to carry their load. But by law, they could only allow you to go one mile. Now, can you imagine some Roman soldier has come up to you in Israel and said, here, carry my backpack, and it weighs 100 pounds, uh, and you're walking along, and you have that backpack on, and you get to the mile marker number one in Jerusalem, and you turn to the guy and you smile and say, hey, buddy, why stop here? You got further to go? I'm going with you. I'm, I'm gonna. And you. And what happens if you carry that backpack and you're whistling as you go? And you're praying for that Roman soldier. God bless him. God help this guy today. And you're going that extra mile. And you begin to talk about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of impact does that have on that Roman soldier? Going the extra mile. Nothing opens up the ears of a non-believer like loving service. Nothing. When you do acts of kindness, when you show love, uh, when you demonstrate love, when you go the extra mile, it, it begins to open up their ears and their hearts to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no wonder in that culture so many Romans were giving their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go the extra mile. Can you imagine the testimony? Listen, going the extra mile. When you go the extra mile for someone else, let me first of all tell you this. It may not be in the same direction you're going. 
You may want it to go somewhere else. You may have been on your journey somewhere else. And it may not be the direction you're going, but because you love that person, you walk with them that extra mile. It may not can be convenient. You may have other stuff to do with your family. You may have plans that night. You may have something already on our agenda, my agenda, but God speaks to your heart and he says, go over and minister to that lady. Go over and cut their grass. Go over and help them paint and finish out their house. Go over and, and fix their bathroom. Go over and do whatever you gotta do. Listen, it, it, it may not be convenient. It may not fit into your schedule. It may cost you something. It may be hard work. Oh, but God's word says, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. Show that kind of love. And when you demonstrate love in action, it will change a life. Now, there's something very fascinating right here, and I want you to get this. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, that he was conscripted to carry his own cross. And so he's just been beaten. His back has been laid open. He's got loss of blood. And, he, and they say, okay, carry your cross. And so they had to carry their own cross up to Calvary to be executed. Now, keep in mind, it was actually our cross Jesus Christ was carrying. Right? I mean, that, that was my cross he was carrying on his back. And then he stumbles and falls. The cross falls to the ground. And there's something very interesting in the language. They found Simon, a bystander, standing by. And they conscripted, or the word of God says, they conscripted Simon to carry the cross of Jesus Christ the rest of the way. Now, by law, they could do that. Why? Because you could make anybody carry someone else's burden if you were a Roman soldier. And so they can strip Simon to carry the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same word in that story that says they conscripted Simon to carry his cross is the same word we see in verse 41. And if someone forces you, the same word for force in the language there, in the Greek language there, is the same word when you go to the story of Simon and you, and you see, uh, fast forward to when Jesus Christ is being crucified, it's the same word where they forced Simon to carry Jesus Christ's cross. Now listen to me. Here's the application. When you see somebody that has stumbled along the way, that is hurting, that is broken, that is bruised by this world, and you reach down and you begin to carry their burden, you are just like Jesus Christ. Uh, you are carrying that same cross uh, that Jesus was, that he was forced and conscripted to carry as well. And so we are acting like Simon. We're acting like Christ when we reach down and we help bear their burdens and go that extra mile. Be like Simon. Let's go the extra mile and help someone with our things and our service. And then the very last phrase he says, and be generous and give to anyone who has need and give it away generously. Listen, the love, the higher love that God calls us to is always more important than possessions and things and stuff. Listen, that's all going to rot. It's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be burned up. The only thing that's going to count forever is what we do for one another. Generous, give it away. Number three, higher love elevates actions above discrimination. Verses 43 to 45. And you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those 
who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So much of our love is discriminatory love. We love those who are like us. We love those who have the same color skin we have. We love those who make about the same amount of money we have. We love those who live in the same neighborhoods we live in. It's discriminatory love. He says, higher love is like God's love. What's God's love like? He causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. He causes the sun to shine on the righteous and on the unrighteous. The love of God is indiscriminate. He loves everybody the same. They they, they use an expression. Jesus starts them out. He gets them thinking. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let me tell you, first of all, the Bible nowhere says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Bible simply said, love your neighbor. Let's turn to it. I want you to see it. Leviticus chapter 19. This is where they get this quotation. This love your neighbor and hate your enemy is actually a perversion of the commandments of God. Because it narrows and constricts the standard of love. Leviticus 19 and verse 17. This is where they get the expression. Uh, Do not hate. uh, Let's see. Leviticus 19, verse 70. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, and so you will share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. Now you see it says don't hate your own people. Uh, Don't hold grudges against your own people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now the Jewish people took that by omission to mean, okay, if God tells me to love my neighbor, then by omission it means I can, if they're aliens or strangers or foreigners or enemies, I can hate them. Because all the Bible says there is love your neighbor. Jump down, if you would, though, to verse number 9 of the very same chapter. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyards a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. In other words, the Jews thought, yes, love your neighbor. I can love all the other Jews. Samaritans, no, I can hate them. Gentiles, no, I can hate them. Jesus said, that is not so. I say unto you, love your enemies. Jump on down, if you would, to verse 34. Same thought there. The alien living among you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. For you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they could write off prejudice. They could write off discrimination because in their minds, their only obligation was to love their neighbor. They missed the rest of Leviticus. Who says, anyone dwelling among you, whether they be aliens, love them also. We don't pick and choose who we love. This is what makes Christian love higher love. There should be no prejudice in the body of Christ. 
If you are a child of God, set free by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, I don't care what your father or your grandfather may have held to, we are called to love one another. Every race, every creed, every color, it doesn't matter. Love. That's higher love. Higher love. He, he, in the New Testament, he tells a story of a good Samaritan. And we know the story. A man is beaten. He's on the side of the road. And Jesus Christ is really going to drive his point home. And he says, first, a priest goes by. Then a Levite goes by. And they walk on the other side of the road. And they ignore the guy. They don't want to get too close lest they be contaminated by this world. And then he says, a Samaritan came by. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be half-breeds. Because when the northern kingdom was taken into captivity, they resettled the population with Assyrians. Uh, the Assyrians... Uh, Inter- intermarried with the Jewish people and they, be- they begin to even serve some of their idols. Uh, and as a result, there was this turning, idolatry, falling away from God. And they considered Samaritans half-breed dogs. Samaritans were called dogs by Jews in that culture. And it's a Samaritan that stops and he helps the guy and he pours wine and, and oil on his wound uh, and he takes him, puts him on his animal and he takes him on into the city and he says, take care of this man. Whatever he needs, you provide it. You take care of him. I'll pay the bill. The reason he told that story with a Samaritan was to drive the point home to all his listeners. Listen, love does not discriminate. He may not have any connection with us. He may even be our enemy. He may be someone who's beaten up on the side of the road. But he says love. Love. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. I say unto you, love your enemies. And do good to those who spitefully use you. Real love involves action. Real love doesn't discriminate. Turn to Luke chapter 6. I want to show you one more passage. Luke 6. Luke 6 and verse 27. This is the parallel passage to Matthew's gospel. Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Luke gives a, also a, uh, a version of that Sermon on the Mount. and includes his language in there. And so when you get to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. chapter 6. I'll get there. Luke 6, verse 27. But I tell you, hear me. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, there's three actions of love. If you're going to have a higher love, there are three things that we've got to do. We're going to get really, really practical now. Uh, Number one, he says, do good. True love is not just mushy words. It is so easy to use the love word, but love produces action. Action that is sacrificial, action that is practical, action that is humble, action. And since love is an act of our will, then he can, and not our emotions, he can command us to love. You can't command an emotion. So you may not always feel like it inside. You may not have warm, gushy feelings about somebody else, but you can act and show love. And as you begin to show love, the feelings begin to come. That's why why we're wrestling with, how do I do this? I don't like the guy. I don't like that person. 
Sure, you, you don't feel it, but love is an action. And so when you begin to demonstrate love, the feelings come. After all, the Bible says he loved us while we were his enemies, while we were still sinners. And then it says he demonstrated his love for us. There's the action part. There's the good part. When he died on the cross to reconcile us to God. So if he gave himself for his enemies, we must also give ourselves for our enemies. Do good. Do good. Just church. Let's do good. Number two. He says bless. Those who curse you. Now that has to do with the words of our mouth. The first has to do with the, the, the acts of our hands. The second one has to do with the words of our mouth. Bless those who persecute you. Now, when, when you gossip, when you talk about somebody else, when you verbally abuse them, when you call them names, you are literally cursing them. So when someone curses us, when someone gossips about us, when someone says something mean about us, I don't go back and say something mean about them. I don't curse them. I don't gossip about them. I don't resort to their level. Because my love is a higher love. Are you getting this? Listen, we put this into action. It changes everything about our love. Our love is a higher love. If they curse and wish disaster on you, either directly to your face or behind your back. We bless them. Someone's called you a snake. And a liar. And a cheat. What do you say? Oh bless their heart. What we say in the south. Oh bless their heart. Bless their little hearts. Isn't that, isn't that so sweet? Bless their heart. That's what the Bible just said to do. Bless those who curse you. If we retaliate by calling blessings down from God, declaring with our words we wish nothing but their good, it begins to change that whole relationship, the whole dynamic of that relationship. And so they may be calling curses down on your head. You call blessings from God down on their head. I told you this is radical stuff. And number three, he says, pray for those who despitefully use you. Uh, Bonhoeffer makes a quotation. Through the medium of prayer... We go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.
Wow. Yeah. Prayer is one of those things that you begin to pray for your enemies. It will increase your love. Because you can't really pray for somebody without loving them. It, you can't pray for your enemies, pray for those who've come against you. You can't lift them up and intercede for them and pray for them without at the same time growing in your love for them. And so you don't wait for the feelings to come to start praying for him. Uh, but by faith, you begin to pray and the love will come. Pray for those. They're back again to Jesus Christ. He's hanging on the cross. And there's seven Seven phrases that Jesus Christ used that are recorded in Scripture when he hung on the cross. We have seven recorded statements of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. There there may have been more. We only have seven recorded. And one of the statements he said while hanging on the cross is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The interesting thing about that is that that Father, forgive them is in in the Greek language is in the imperfect tense which literally means it's repeated action. In other words, he did not just make this statement once. He kept saying it over and over and over again. Listen, they're mocking him. They're they're abusing him. They're insulting him. They're doing everything imaginable at the foot of the cross. He has been beaten and bruised beyond recognition. And he keeps saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. This is what God has called us to do. And listen, if the torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayers uh, for his enemies, then I ask you, what is the, the pain you've experienced, the pride you've experienced, the prejudice that's been shown against you that's stopping us from praying for our enemies? Nothing compares to what Jesus Christ went through. And so we do what the word says. We pray, we pray for enemies. The love of Christ sent Jesus Christ to the cross. So it is the cross of Calvary that makes Christian love higher love. Higher love. How can we have higher love? It's through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Alfred Plummer makes this statement. To return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is divine. So I ask yourself the question again that I started with at the opening of this message, and I'll ask it directly to you. What more are you doing than others? What more are you doing than others? Are you responding on a human level? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You hit my cheek, I'll bust your chops. What more are you doing than others? The new life in Christ because of the cross is based on divine love, which is a higher love. Jesus calls us to a higher love. There's there's no way around it. You cannot read anything else in this passage. You can't duck it. You can't dodge it. You can't say it doesn't apply to me. You can't read it any other way. It is direct, it is to the point. Jesus calls us to higher love. Three things about this higher love. I close with this. Number one, he says, higher love is a mark of Christian maturity. Because in the very last verse, he says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
What does he mean by the word perfect? The word perfect in the Greek language means complete. It carries the idea of maturity. And so he says, be mature. Grow up. Grow up like your father in heaven. Grow up. Show maturity as sons of God. You have a heavenly father, and so let's act like sons of God. And so he says, grow up. Move it up a notch. Get above that human level of love and move on to the realm of higher love. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It is a mark of spiritual maturity. Number two, higher love is godlike. And I said it earlier, it's, he causes the sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. Your Father in heaven does this. He causes it to rain on the just and on the unjust. And so when you show love to anybody and everybody, you are being godlike. Okay? Number three, what a powerful testimony to others. And I go back to my opening. What more do you do than others? As we go higher in our love, listen to me, get this. As we go higher in our love and we love our enemies and we love those who would seek to hurt us and we love those who we don't even know and we love our aliens and we love strangers and we love outsiders. And we love those that there's no real reason naturally to show them any kind of love. What a powerful testimony to win the world. When you're going that extra mile, what a testimony. It will draw the world to the incredible love of God the Father. It will draw them to Calvary. It will draw them to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The Father, you see, loves his enemies. Uh, He died for us while we were yet sinners. And he seeks to make every enemy a child of God. So if we'll get involved in God's plan, and we'll model him, and we'll love our enemies, uh, and we'll begin to show that higher kind of love, uh, we will have a powerful testimony and impact on this world. Higher love. Higher love. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Probably wasn't a whole lot of shouting and amens this morning because I think we're all a little bit under that feeling of guilt. And we're hurting a little bit because we've had our toes trampled all over this morning. And I've walked all over my own toes. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great lover when it comes to loving those who love me. I don't always do so hot when it comes to loving those who talk about me. And yet God's calling us.